have a quarter million on me right now Hard to make a song about something other than the money Two things I'm about to talk and blunt and stay in blunt and pretty women Are you here? Are you here right now, huh? We should all disappear right now Look, you're getting all your friends and you're getting in the car And you're coming to the house, are we clear right now? Huh? Hope everybody's having an awesome Wednesday It is officially the Alexis Lafreniere era in New York Which I am super excited about But I'm more excited to bring on Ariel Hawani Of episode 29 of The Locker Room As always, I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus Cappy, my boy, Justin Kappenmaster, how you doing? I know you're hyped for this one What's up? Very hype. Very, very excited. Ariel Hawani, boys. Such a good interview. So excited to bring you guys. My day's going good. Um, I'm happy to bring everybody the interview, and I'm just excited to watch some more hockey. What's going on with you, Max? Got power back, so um, only took <laughs> only took over a week with Starbucks is gonna miss you. Fucking Mickey Mouse company over there. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm good. Um. And as as they say in UFC, fighting. <laughs> Honestly, Maxie, wait. Speaking of power, have you guys seen that like kissing booth movie, whatever everyone's talking about on Netflix? No, I have not I yet. I don't know. My, my mom and like I guess a lot of people are talking about it, but you know we we didn't lose power for the entire full week, and then last night with two minutes left of the kissing booth movie that me and Ellie were watching, of course the power goes out. But uh, you know I was, I was pretty into it. I was pissed, <laughs> but I guess that's kind of irrelevant right now. Well, I mean, we talked about this on the last episode, that how much the power outages suck in New York compared to Florida because we're prepared for the hurricanes. You guys aren't. You know what? I, I really appreciate just, like, having a TV to watch tonight because, honestly, last night with no power, my mind was I, – I fell asleep like, 3 in the morning. I couldn't stop thinking about God knows what. Well, speaking of having a TV to, to watch tonight, I mean, are you kidding me? Could you measure the power went out tonight for this Blue Jackets – or last night with that Blue Jackets game? I, I bet on the Blue Jackets money line, and that game took longer than my grandparents reading the Passover Seder meal. And to watch that entire game from 3 o'clock till, what, 8, 8.45, 9 o'clock to finish and then yep. lose, dude, that is – I honestly, I'm, I'm probably more pissed than the Blue Jacket players because betting on that game and then having an end like that, that was – you know what? Fuck. I was so pissed. I'm sure you're not that upset – or not as upset as the Blue Jackets players. <laughs> Could you imagine <laughs> going into a five-overtime game and then having to come back and play two days later? I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's two games plus another period. It's, it's absolutely – or not two games plus another period. It's a whole game. Um, plus two periods. Excuse me, my math's not very good. No, oh, yeah, that that is that is a shitty situation for sure. Um, and then tomorrow, uh, well, this morning, 11 a.m. Bruins Hurricanes. At least we got some morning hockey out of it. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, if it, could you imagine getting their game canceled? I mean, I know I saw your tweet last night, but Jesus, imagine waiting, preparing for the game, getting all ready to go. You got your C4 in you. There's no shot. Half of the Bruins and Canes players are are sleeping the night prior. Their game today is going to be an absolute battle. I'm sure a lot of their guys didn't get a lot of sleep last night. But I want to get your guys' opinion since we got Hawani coming on. Who's your guys' favorite fighters? Now, if you guys want me to start, I'll be glad to start. Please do. <laughs> All right, my favorite fighter is Israel Anasanya. If you guys don't know him, please look him up. He's the middleweight champion. They call him the last style bender because he's, like, very just, like, free-flowing. Like, his style is just unorthodox but he's very precise he's a freak of nature this guy um and he fights in like a couple months i'm pretty sure he he defends his title again against costa so i'm pretty pumped about that can i ask you an honest question you can is he actually your favorite fighter or did you say him because his name's israel and we're a jewish podcast (laughs) i actually didn't even think about that but (laughs) he's actually my favorite fighter right now he's actually my my good buddy joel's favorite fighter right now so he's probably gonna listen to this and be like oh you're tough my fighter (laughs) <laughs> but I'm a big McGregor fan as well, so I got to put his name out there. What about you guys? 
for me in college, we played the UFC video game a lot. And my favorite fighter to use was Alexander Gustafson. I love, I love kicking in that, in that video game. And <laughs> he's got a nasty kick. So he's my favorite fighter. As for me, um, I never played any fighting games. Well, I mean, I guess like Wii Boxing is like the only thing I've ever played. But uh, oh, that's boxing. Know. That's not MMA. I don't know if that counts as fighting, but um, for me, you know, I just kind of root for both fighters to have a good time. But I'm rooting for Ari- Ariel Hawani. I mean, that's that's, <laughs> your, that's who my favorite uh, UFC person is. As so, long as everyone know, has a good time. Yeah. I'm rooting for a tie, and I'm rooting for two good interviews from Ariel and the winner or the the, the guy's tie. <laughs> I honestly couldn't. I couldn't name one fighter besides McGregor, honestly, or Diaz, or or Khabib. That was the yeah. weakest response. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know their first names. I mean, I could just bullshit in Wikipedia, but I'm, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to botch <laughs> the pronunciation. <laughs> Before we kick it over to the interview, I was just thinking about this. So there's been a lot of times where I've watched fights, obviously before this whole COVID thing started. Like one of my favorite things to do is like a like a big card, like these big cards in the past, like a McGregor Mayweather and stuff, like crazy cards like that. Um, like being able to be around your boys or be like a huge party to watch these cards is one of my favorite things. So a couple of years ago when I was at Ferris, we hosted this huge, huge party for the McGregor Mayweather fight. Um, like enormous. It was Ferris Fest that day. So we were going around like telling everybody $10 at the door, $10 you're in. And we packed our apartment to the absolute brim. And so round one, boom, like we're all chanting. I don't know if you guys have heard the, the Conor McGregor song. Um, there's only one Conor McGregor. It's a kid from Dublin. We're more than a dream. It's a banger. Um, so round one, round one's over. And this place is like, you can't even stand in here. We had a good spot, but like, cause we were next to the TV, but you can't even stand in this place. There's easily a couple hundred people trapped in this place. Round one ends. Round two is about to begin and the TV goes out. <laughs> Typical. And everybody paid to get in this house. And so we're panicking because we got it streamed. Thankfully, like we got, we missed like 20 seconds of round two. I think the round, the, the fight ended like the end of round two, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty crazy, pretty crazy story. I actually got one from that fight. You kind of just reminded me, Cap, of our good buddy, Sam Sternshine. I visited Penn State that weekend for that fight, and I went to, like, their hockey house, and Sam was a freshman at the time. He was, like, at school for, like, the first two weeks. And I ended up, like, getting a nice spot on the couch, like, right in front of the TV, watching the fight with my friends on Penn State. And since Sam was a freshman, he had, like, no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No leeway. He was watching the fight from outside the house through the window. <laughs> No it was like a party. It was like a party. Yeah, going party. I'm I'm with his teammates, but he's a freshman looking through the window watching. <laughs> he's texting you. He's texting you last. What what round is it? Yeah, he was. Oh my god, I I love that kid. I love that place. Penn State is a fucking awesome time. What'd you do for the Mayweather fight or McGregor fight, Maxie? Honestly, I don't even remember. <laughs> too blacked out. Yeah, I was gonna say too. No, shit. I I know that. I remember watching the the Mayweather. Uh, not the Mayweather. I remember watching the McGregor Diaz, uh, both, both the fights, but I don't know. I don't even think I watched the, the Mayweather McGregor fight. Did you just think it was too much of a joke or what? Yeah. I was like, there's, yeah, obviously Mayweather is going to win. But you had, I feel like you had to watch it. Like they were hyping that up so much and like the drama and the content before it was just TV. It's, it was more of like a reality show, honestly, than like a fight because you knew Mayweather was going to smoke him. Like he's too good of a, he's too good of a boxer. He's the best of all time. Before we kick it over to Ariel, though, I gotta mention one of our sponsors, Bagel Boss. When thinking about Long Island bagels, Bagel Boss is the first thing that immediately comes to mind. At Bagel Boss, we look forward to bringing you the finest New York bagels, bialis, and bakery delicacies. We offer a wide variety of kosher foods for every occasion. From a simple family of brunch to an extravagant and elegant bar mitzvah, Bagel Boss does it all. Out of state, not a problem. 
Bagel Boss ships nationwide. Visit our new website, bagelofthemonth.com, to have all our award-winning products shipped directly to your front door anywhere in the U.S. Use code LOCKET10 for 10% off. That's LOCKET10 for 10% off. But other than that, we're hoping that Ariel can get some fresh bagels from Bagel Boss, and we're hoping that we can get some fresh bagels from Montreal as well so we can do a little comparison. But let's send it over to the interview. Excited for you guys to hear it. Let's do it. This guy grew up in Mount Royal, Quebec, and was bar mitzvahed at the Spanish and Portuguese. He attended Herzliya High School and graduated at Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications in 2004 with a bachelor's in broadcast journalism. During his time at Syracuse, he worked at WERW radio station, where he started his own professional wrestling and MMA talk show called The Main Event. Since then, he has worked for MMA Fighting and joined ESPN in 2018. He is a former MMA insider for Fox Sports 1's weekly UFC Tonight Show. He was the co-host of the SiriusXM radio show Fight Club and the former host of MMA Hour podcast and the MMA Beat Show on YouTube. Currently, he is the host for the show Ariel and the Bad Guy at ESPN, has an amazing podcast called Ariel Hawani's MMA Show, has won countless MMA Journalist of the Year awards, and he is one of, if not the best reporter for UFC and all MMA in general. And not to mention, he's a fellow member of the tribe. We're so happy to have him on. Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, Ariel Hawani. Oh, it's uh, it's doing great over here. This is uh, quite the intro that you just gave me. So thank you very much. It's uh, it's an honor to be on the show. Have you ever been introduced before where you were bar mitzvah? No, that's why I <laughs> loved it so much because uh, it was a great time. Our bar mitzvah was an amazing moment in my life. In fact, I, uh, I invited Cliff Floyd, formerly of the Montreal Expos, uh, later on of of, of the uh, Florida Marlins and other teams. You guys know Cliff Floyd, the baseball player? Oh, yeah, I'm a big Met fan. Okay, yeah, he so I invited Cliff Floyd to my bar mitzvah, and uh, that season uh, he broke his wrist, so I thought he would be a sure thing. For <laughs> some reason, uh, I don't know if I didn't check the schedule, which would you know be an obvious thing to do, or I thought because he was injured he wasn't going to travel. They were in L.A. that same weekend, and I remember going up to him. So I went up to him before game, and I invited him to my bar mitzvah, and he said yes. And so I went back to my mom, you know, typical Jewish mom, okay, fine, yeah, cool, you're going to have a baseball player. I have no idea who this guy is. And, I, and, and then I went back to him like a week before the game. This is September of that season, 1995. And I was like, hey, Cliff, are you still coming to my bar mitzvah? And he says, no, we're going to be in L.A. Can you change the date? I was like, Cliff, like my mom has been planning this thing for a year. We're not changing the date for my man. So Cliff never ended up uh, attending the bar mitzvah, but I did invite him. That's actually unbelievable. I can't even I can't even fathom that reaction. I mean, hey, it's okay. I, my mom wouldn't have changed the bar mitzvah as well. Right. You know the you know the parents. But uh, speaking of bar mitzvahs, what was your theme? So was it baseball? No, it was. Uh, you know, it was like my mom is. I personally think the greatest mom, and she loves to make big, big 
dashes. Of course. And she made the bar mitzvahs into like these insane, these insane celebrations. And so with mine, there was like this whole other room with the games and all that. We had like the sumo wrestling thing back when that was like a new thing, you know, when people dressed up and like the, all, all like the, the bells and whistles. But <laughs> did we have a theme? I don't think we had a theme. My brother had like some rappers show up to his, which was wild. But um, <laughs> I don't know if we actually had a theme. It was incredible though. Like I was just, I mean, it was one of the best days of my life just getting that kind of attention and love from everyone. In fact, uh, another funny story about my bar mitzvah, my future wife, who I met at Herzliya High School uh, in 1994, was invited to my bar mitzvah, and it would be great. Like, now we have kids. We could be like, hey, we were, like, you know, we knew each other at my bar mitzvah. And she told me the Friday before my Sunday night bar mitzvah that she was going to Vermont for a weekend, a long weekend with her family. And it always kind of, like, like nod at me that she, you know, like what you you went to Vermont instead of my bar mitzvah. We could have had a great story to tell uh, our kids. So, so yeah, it was a good time. It's funny you mentioned that. My girlfriend had been dating for eight years. Uh, she was actually at my bar mitzvah as well. Wow. So yeah, she we were kind of like talking back then. So it was a little like. Are you, are you 20 years old? Mitzvah. How old are you? No, I'm 24 okay. now. Um, so you know, not 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 too young. But it's funny you say that. We just watched the Bonitsa video recently, and she just cringes every time she sees herself in the video. So it's, it's too funny. <laughs> I bet. But uh, but but are your kids planning on having bar bonitsas? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I am. Uh, I am a practicing Jew. I'm very proud of it. I put my tefillin still every morning. I put it on. Um, and my kids go okay. to uh, Jewish private school, and we try to do Shabbat. I mean, we're not like Shomer Shabbat where we, you know, don't drive or use tv or money or things like that but you know try to do friday night dinner and all that stuff and i think it's very important for them to have that foundation it was a big part of my life uh, i went to jewish uh, school as uh, you know a kid in elementary so in in montreal we don't have middle school or anything like that we just have elementary grade one through six and then high school is seven to eleven and uh, so i went to jewish school the whole time akiva elementary herzliya high school and I played in the Maccabi games, um, you know, played at our JCC. Like I was, a, it was a big part of my life, Jewish sleepaway camp, all that stuff. It was a big part of who I was. So yes, uh, I, I 100% am planning on, you know, giving both my boys and, and my girl <laughs> bar and bat mitzvah. Sleepaway camp is a big aspect of our podcast. I didn't know the, the Canadians go to sleepaway camp. Where'd you go? Oh yeah, man. Uh, it was huge. What do you, what do you think we do in the summer? We hang out in our, <laughs> I don't know. You guys go to the lake or whatever. No, we, so we have, so we, in Montreal, like there's, there's a up north, they call it, uh, with the lakes and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, I went to one called Massad, another one, B'nai B'rith. There was a B'nai B'rith in okay. Ottawa. My mom um, went to B'nai B'rith in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's the same one. Yeah, I think there's like multiple. Uh, so I went to the one in Ottawa and then I went to a, a Camp Walden in uh, Diamond Point, New York near Lake George. Uh, as a counselor, and also another camp called Taconic in uh, the Berkshires. Uh huh. So Very familiar with it. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I made the the sleepaway camp rounds. I went to Greylock, so which is also oh. in the Berkshires. So we, yes, I I remember Greylock. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's it so was beautiful up there. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Taconic uh, of all those camps was probably my favorite. Uh, when I was younger, though, I got really homesick, so like I tried to escape a couple times, um, <laughs> and they couldn't find me one night. I was hiding in a bunk, uh, you know. I was I was a very dramatic kid, but mm -hmm. uh, I have fond memories. You should By the way, can I ask a question? I feel I feel like there's an elephant in the room. What happened to your teeth? Uh, I'm a UFC <laughs> guy also, so I lost them in a fight. All right. Respect. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm a hockey guy. I took a puck to the face, but uh. Recently? No, like five years ago. I just don't wear my flipper because I think I look cooler without it. 
I mean, it's an amazing look, by the way. Not a lot of people can pull it off. Thank you. So. Thank you. Well, I was going to compliment your eyes, too, actually. Your eyes are, are glowing. <laughs> oh, really? Well, thank you. Uh, but no, that is an incredible look. So you just go through life like that? Pretty much. I mean, if, if I, like, go to a party and I don't – and, like, I know I don't know a majority of the people, like, I'll wear them just so people don't stare at me or ask me, like, what the fuck happened to me. Yeah. But for the most part, if I'm just, like, with my friends or I'm with, like, a small crowd where I know everyone, like, it's not a secret. It's been a long time, you know? How much did that hurt? Uh, well, I was there. It looked yeah. bad. Kathy was there. But it hurts more. I'm sure you've obviously met people who have lost their teeth. It kind of hurts more, like, the week following than it actually does in the moment just because, like, the adrenaline going through you kind of, like, mm. kicks in. Yeah, but uh, I'll give I'll give him credit though. He did he, he you know typical typical Johnny got down got went to the locker room got fixed up back on the ice. I love it. Wow. I actually I sent my my friends a Snapchat first. I I was like don't stitch me up yet. I gotta take a picture. This is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you thought, couldn't you couldn't get like uh, implants. Um. So we were in Odessa, Texas, and they oh, said, yeah. hey, we could put your teeth back in. And I was like, you know what? I don't really trust you guys. I'll just I'll leave them out. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Respect. When you see Johnny with uh, with his fake teeth in, you know he's on his best behavior. Exactly. Okay, okay, it's almost yeah. like the the sock on the doorknob type thing. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Ariel, you did mention growing up in Montreal a bunch, obviously. And and I actually, speaking of hockey, I love Quebec. I played in the Pee Wee Quebec tournament. I'm sure you're aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I lived with the host family there, and you know, I I loved like just, like the culture, and I mean, it was hard to understand because a lot of people speak French. But yeah. growing up in that area, what made you more interested in MMA as opposed to like hockey or which which people don't even know the national sport of Canada is lacrosse and not hockey. Yep. But what yep. really drew you into MMA? Yeah, and by the way, no one follows lacrosse in Quebec, so it was not a big deal at all. Obviously, hockey was number one. Um, uh, the Canadians, you know, they they are a religion. Interestingly enough, in in my household, I had uh, I have two older brothers, and uh, hockey wasn't. You know, my my oldest brother was a um, a great goalie. But, but like my fondest memories growing up was basketball. Like we were all about basketball. Uh, you know, this was the uh, the Jordan era. Um, I was a huge Knicks fan. They were Bulls fans. They were they were big time front runners. You know, I was a Knicks fan. They were Bulls fans. I was a Bills fan in the NFL. They were Cowboys fans. So I was uh, tormented a lot. Um, you were all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like they were just legit front runners. You know, I, I like the underdogs. You know, the 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 guys who like worked really hard and. Uh, you know, had to, to, you know, defy the odds. Unfortunately, I, I never got to celebrate a championship as a kid, but for, we just really liked American sports. We, we, uh, we were taken by it. And I remember maybe 1990. And so I played hockey as a kid. Um, you know, we played in, in town of Mount Royal. We played like, in our rec league and all that, but I wasn't really good at it, to be honest. And, uh, I really adored basketball. So I remember, I think it was 90 or 91, we walked into a shoe store and my brothers told me to get a particular pair of shoes. And, uh, I was like, all right, yeah, you know, you listen to your older brothers and they happened to be Patrick Ewing's shoes. Um, and I don't know if you ever saw Patrick Ewing's shoes back in the day, but they weren't very nice. Uh, they were very like bulky and like just not very, like they were everything that the Jordans weren't. Um, but I bought him and then he became my guy cause I fell in love with him. So like, you know, 90, like essentially, you know, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, et cetera. I was all about the Knicks. I was all about basketball. I just obsessed over it. Now during that time to answer your question, uh, I also loved combat sports, uh, more so than my brothers. That was kind of my own thing, pro wrestling, boxing. I used to go to my friend's house to watch like the big pay-per-views. UFC, uh, was founded in, in 1993. And I remember watching the first one, not live, but my grandparents had like one of those illegal boxes. So they would replay all the events all the time, UFC 1, UFC 2, whenever they happen. So I caught those. 
Um, and then over time, like you start to like figure out what's going on. Now in 93, I'm, uh, I'm 11. So, you know, you're starting to figure out what's going on. But then, you know, towards the, the, the end of the 90s, it got really hard to follow the UFC because like, you know, the internet was still in its infancy. It wasn't on pay-per-view anymore. They took it off pay-per-view. Like you would have, you know, you'd, you'd see it at the, the local, you know, blockbuster, but it was really hard to follow it. Um, and then I remember watching, I was, I was in college. I was at Syracuse in, in 2001, and uh, I remember watching a show called The Best Damn Sports Show, period, which was on Fox Sportsnet, and it was a popular show. John Sally was on it, and Rob Dibble and other guys. And uh, they had Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock on, and I was really blown away that, like, a sport show like that, you know, a mainstream sports so, show, so to speak, was uh, was talking about the UFC, and, like, a light went off in my head. And uh, I remember telling my parents, you know, when I got to Syracuse, a lot of kids, uh, for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by kids who uh, wanted to be the same person that I wanted to be. They all wanted to be the next Bob Costas or Marv Albert, um, you know, people like that. And um, that was new for me. And I never liked to go down the same path as other people. So I remember telling my parents in 2001, hey, you know, in 10 years, I feel like there's going to be this sport called MMA that is going to be really popular, a lot more popular than it is today. And I feel like there's going to be some executive in some office who knows nothing about this sport, but is going to have to concede to the fact that it is a popular sport and say, hey, who's the guy? Who's the Howard Cosell of MMA? And I want to be that guy. I want to put myself in that position. And so that's when I started my own radio show and, and all that stuff and really started to like, you know, uh, hone in on the sport and, 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 you know, have this, this, this dream and vision of being the guy in MMA. So that's kind of the short story of how I kind of came on this path. Yeah. You had your, like, that's so Raven moment. kind of, it sounds like, <laughs> it just, you know, I'm not sure I know what you mean by that, but you don't know uh, that's so Raven. I mean, I know who she is. Raven Simone. She's a legend, yeah. but what is the, what is the, that's so Raven? Oh, was that her thing? Yeah. 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 It's she like, would, like flashback and like, <laughs> she would, like, bit me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know what? I did. I that's so Raven moment. But I was going to say, it's, it's funny. I mean, obviously, it's, it's incredible how you just predicted, you know, your own future, I guess. But also, like, maybe you can give us some stocks that we can invest in in the next 10 years. Like, uh -huh. so you kind of know what's going on. But I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned Patrick Ewing because Max and I are both from Long Island. We grew up diehard Nick fans. Like, our Patrick Ewing to you was Stephon Marbury. We bought his Come. shoes, although he can't, yeah. you can't really compare. You can't compare, yeah. obviously. Your Nick's arrow is way better than ours. But before, you did mention that you, pl you played in the McAfee games. I'm assuming you played basketball, or, or what did yeah. you do in the Mac games? Do you think there's uh, going to be played, MMA one day? You know, no, I played uh, 1998. I played in the regional games in Detroit in, in, in basketball. I was on the Montreal team. And then in 1999, I played on the Pan American uh, team, and that was uh, the Canadian team, um, and that was in Mexico City. Both incredible experiences um, in, in 98 in Detroit. Uh, I was I was staying with a host family, which was amazing because uh, Grand Hill was our next door neighbor. Unfortunately, he wasn't there because it was summer, but it was just really cool that he was the neighbor. Uh, we got whooped. I think we went 0 for 8. Uh, <laughs> but then in, in uh, 99, in the uh, Pan American Games, we made it to the bronze medal game and lost to Brazil. And what a great experience that was. Like that, They really treated it. It wasn't quite like the Israeli Maccabee games, like the big, big one, but it was the next best thing. I, I had been to the, uh, the Maccabee games in Israel in 97 as a student, just as a fan. Um, but like we got to do the whole, you know, uh, 
opening ceremony thing at, at the palace at Auburn Hills. And, uh, you know, people actually attended the games and the atmosphere was really great. So yeah, those were amazing memories. I, uh, and I was the captain of the teams as well. So I was never like the highest scorer, but, um, I was like, you know, the Charles you were the Oakley. Hard and soul guy. You were the heart and yeah. soul guy. I was a Charles Oakley type, diving all over the place, setting picks, taking charges. I, I like that style of play. Mm-hmm. Well, you're believe, believe it or not, a lot of people think I'm like a, some scrawny punk, but like I was one of the bigger kids um, <laughs> back then. You know, like I played forward because you know I'm 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 playing like you know private Jewish school basketball, so it wasn't a lot of you know, <laughs> six foot five kids back then. What's that Disney movie like? Full Court Miracle. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You, you got a lot of the uh, like uh, teeny bop references. Yeah, that's my <laughs> that's second. So. That's my second Disney reference. I gotta, I gotta. Call I, it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that. But, but can you talk more about your experience, like in Israel, also in '97? I think you said right. Yeah, yeah. Also, like birthright, you done that. So I haven't done birthright uh, because I'd been there so many times. But in my school, uh, in the ninth grade. Uh, they they take everyone to Israel for two months in the summertime. And what an incredible experience that was. Like they take the whole grade to Israel and you're there with your friends and you get to do everything from the, the north to the south, Eilat and Jerusalem. And just, you know, you know, what are you in, in 97? What was I? 15. You know, you're you're young, but like you're you know, excited about going away on a plane with your school, uh, your, your school friends and all that stuff. It was an incredible experience. We spent a week at uh, one of the, the military camps. So we got to experience that. And that was hellacious. But looking back, incredible. I mean, like they really treated us not quite as tough as they would the actual, you know, um, soldiers. But, you know, they gave us the experience as close as possible. And so that was an amazing experience. I, I went there as a kid as well. But my 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 two fondest memories in Israel, one was in 1999. Uh, I went on a trip called the March of the Living. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but, you know, we first went to Poland uh, and visited the concentration camps. And that was a life changing uh, experience for me. And then the following week, we went to Israel uh, for Yom Atzmaut, Independence Day. And, and that was a crazy time. They really do it big in Israel for Yom Atzmaut. And people are running around with like a silly string. And it's just like a crazy party. So that was really fun to go from the, you know, the depressed trip in, in, um, in, in Poland and then to like the jubilation in Israel. And then in 2008, which unfortunately is the last time I was there, uh, we went to Israel uh, for our honeymoon, which was a great experience oh, because nice. uh, my wife and I were on that trip in 97 when we went in the ninth grade and like to go back. That was her first time back and to spend, uh, we spent, I think, 10 or so days there. It was in October, so it was during Sukkot and it was a great experience to be there as well in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. So, um, yeah, I have really fond memories. I'd love to go back one of these days, especially now that I have kids and they learn about it and whatnot. I think it would be a great time. No, that's definitely amazing. And speaking of your kids, uh, I saw your daughter Claire made her debut a couple weeks yeah. ago when she interviewed Joanne Calderwood. That was amazing. I thought that was great. Clever by you, if, if that was your idea. That was amazing. Looks like she might take your job in the future. She really likes it. She keeps asking me to do more. She says, you know, like, when's the next show and when's the next interview? Um, I have to give Joanne actually the credit for that one because I asked her to do an interview and she said yes as long as Claire is involved and i was like oh wow that's a great idea uh but she was going to be at a friend's house so i did that whole like pre-tape thing and uh (laughs) joanne is such a sweet person i I thought like the the mix of the two personalities would come off well and it seemed like people like it oh it was so clever definitely got to do it again in the future for sure deal so the last few ufc cards there have been some extreme concern on some late stoppages i specifically remember the most recent fight with jan and aldo 
I know Dan Hardy had a lot to say about it, but what are your thoughts? Okay, I like how we went from Israel to late stoppages. I got Very, you. <laughs> yeah. right, into, right, into, right into UFC, right? Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting <laughs> transition. Um, look, I, I think that being a referee in MMA is one of the toughest refereeing jobs in sports because it's so subjective. Look, in, in the NBA, there, there's obviously tough calls. In the NFL, there are tough calls, and you have to make, you know, snappy decisions. But there's no real clear guidelines, you know, what's a TKO? When you stop a fight, yeah, submission, you know, it's when someone taps. But even that sometimes is a little bit gray. So I try to give the referees the benefit of the doubt. But in the Jan Aldo fight, that was uh, Leon Roberts, a very good referee. I just didn't understand how much more he wanted to see. Now, I know he was trying to give Aldo some respect. You see this often with veterans. Oh, you know, I'm going to let the fight go a little longer because it might be their last title shot. You want to give him respect. Okay, that's all well and good. But that was like three and a half, four minutes of just yeah. straight punches to the head. With him, you know, being a proud guy, a lot of fighters aren't going to want to tap to strikes because they feel like there's a negative stigma attached to that. I think that's silly, but okay, whatever, I'm not a fighter. Uh, the guy is turtled up. He's covering his head. He looks like he wants to be nowhere else but there. Give the guy a break. Like, yeah. End the fight. Please, end the fight. Um, the, the, the one that you alluded to, the uh, Francisco Trinaldo fight with uh, Herb Dean, that too was was late in my opinion. When you have a situation where Trinaldo is on top of the guy and he's like, yo, like I don't want to be punching this guy anymore. Like I think you should kind of end the fight. That, that's clearly an indication. And then he didn't stop the fight, Herb Dean, who I think is a great referee, but I think has had some questionable calls over the past year or so. You know, the guy throws like four more punches that land flush. It was just unnecessary. So I, I hate to see when when um, early stoppages happen because so much goes into these fights. But I do believe that they have to err on the side of caution, not on the side of take more damage. And it just seems like lately we've had this weird stretch of fights where they're they're erring on the side of take more damage. But you know, MMA goes like that sometimes. Like sometimes you'll see a stretch of like really weird judges' decisions, and then sometimes you'll see a stretch of really weird referee uh, decisions. And I don't think anything's going to change anytime soon. Like I have my issues with the 10 point must system. This has nothing to do with the 10 point must system, but you know, MMA for as good as it is these days, it's still very fragmented. There's still a lot of issues with officiating and commissions and regulations and all that stuff. So, you know, I don't see any of this changing anytime soon. Also the, the, the refs, like a lot of people don't know this, like Nevada gold standard for MMA, a referee for a big UFC fight is making $1,900 that night. Like that is, that is nothing. Considering the money at stake in these fights, considering what the fighters are making and also what the promotion is making and all that is being generated around it, the fact that arguably, you know, one of the three most important people involved in a fight is making that little just shows that there's not a lot of incentive for it to get better. There's not a lot of incentive for more people to do it, for more people to invest their time and effort into it. So it's always going to stay here as long as the referees are making that little amount. I think they should make more, but, uh, you know, that's one of the many issues, I think, in the sport right now. I don't want you to get into it too much, but speaking of, like, the judging and stuff like that regarding the situation, do you see that they're going to be releasing, like, the scores to the, the fighters and to their team in the near future in both boxing and MMA? No, I don't see that happening. You mean, like, open scoring? I don't yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, after each round, you know if yeah. you're down, you know if you're up. I, I like the idea, by the way. I think it's a good idea. Um, some states have been, have been uh, you know, um, flirting with it, like Kansas did it with Invicta. 
And uh, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, the big knock against it is, oh, a fighter will then, you know, take his foot off the gas. Exactly. And, you know, if he's up two rounds to none. But, like, it's a small cage. I mean, how much – plus, you can, you, can, you can penalize a person for stalling. That's, that's like, a definite thing that you can do. You can stop the fight. You can either warn them for stalling or you can take a point for stalling. So, you know, look, how, how does the NBA deal with it? How does the NFL deal with it when someone's up, you know – a team is up 25 points in the fourth quarter. You just have to deal with it, right? Yeah. So it's the only sport, combat at sports, because it's the same in boxing and kickboxing to a degree. There's some promotions out there that use it. But for the most part, it's the only sports entity where you don't know where you stand going into the final minute. And I guess that's appealing to some, but I also think it's a little bit crazy considering how, you know, how crazy the judges' decisions can be sometimes. Exactly. Like the hype's obviously there for the fans and for like everything like that. Like, oh, who's winning the fight? Who's winning the fight? But like, if I'm a fighter, like, I want to know. Like, if I'm up in the fight, okay, I know what to do. If I'm down in the fight, all right, turn it up. Like, let's go. So right. it definitely makes perfect sense. I agree. You ready for this transition? Let's hear it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a novice to the UFC. I mean, I, I love watching the fights, but I want, I want you to pretend that I'm a concerned Jewish mother. Mm-hmm. And you're explaining, you're pitching to me MMA fighting and, and telling me why my child should get into it. Now, when you say get into it, do you mean like actually competing or do you mean competing? Have- Compe- or, you know, both, both. Because I, I feel like, especially growing up with a Jewish mother, it's like avoid, like avoid football and the, and the heavy, right. even though I played hockey, but like avoid, my mom, every time I got hit, would ah, freak yeah, out, yeah. you know? So like, how, well, how did she, she how did she react to your teeth being knocked out? <laughs> Honestly, she was fine. My dad was like crying. He felt so bad. <laughs> really? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I broke my ankle one time playing basketball and like my mom won't ever forget it. Like she was so traumatized by her son breaking her ankle. So I, <laughs> I give your mom credit for that. Um well look, I would say as far as competing is concerned, I would say, you know, there's a lot of good things that come with, you know, teaching your kids martial arts, confidence, discipline, right? I mean, you don't have to go like you don't have to go from like being 9 years old to 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 just like, you know, training in some dojo to then go fighting in a cage. Like there's a long stretch in between that, right? So, uh I would I would not advocate for young children or even teenagers to be fighters per se to actually fight in a cage, but I would certainly advocate for them to go train um them go to their local gym or, you know, to find a, a, an MMA gym, a karate gym, a boxing gym. Uh, prior to this whole COVID thing, I was, uh, I started to box a lot and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I really miss it. Uh, and I felt like I was actually, you know, gaining some steam there. And, and it, 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 more so than anything, it, I felt like it was helping my, my sanity, my mental health, because, you know, you're in front of a computer all the time, you're on your phone all the time, and for an hour or so, you're not doing that, and you're able to take your aggression out, and it's just a good workout rather than going for a jog or something boring like that. So there's a lot of benefits to it, but I'm not going to, you know, I would never, I, I don't want my kids to get punched in the face, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I, And that's why I have so much respect for the fighters, because they possess DNA that I could never dream of possessing. Like, the idea of going into a cage and fighting another human being with, you know, no shoes, uh, four ounce gloves, and, you know, you're wearing a cup if you're a guy and nothing else is insane. It's absolutely insane. It's a crazy way to make a living. But that's why I have so much respect for them because I admire them so much for their courage and they're able to do this. And sometimes they're not even making all that much money and they're still able to do it. Like what they do, especially a five minute round, like one round, let alone three and then five for a title fight or main event, five minutes in there with another human being straight you know how exhausted you are after that first round and then you have to go back and do it after a one minute break and then do it again. 
it's it's a crazy, crazy way to make a living. They have an incredible gas tank. They have incredible strength mentally and physically. I have so much respect for them. But you know, make no mistake, I'm not I'm not trying to get my kids to you know punch people in a cage or anything like that. I, I have gone them into martial arts, and I think there are great reasons for that, as I outlined. But um, I wouldn't try to convince anyone to become a fighter per se. It's funny that you mentioned the the punching though, because like for me, if I like kick my sister in the butt, my my foot hurts. Like these guys are kicking each other in the shin. Like yeah, the punching is even what makes me like, oh my god, that must kill. It's the kicking. I'm like, holy shit, how are these guys like Nuts. not even like flinching when they kick someone right in the bone. Yeah, punch to the face, right? Boom, and they just keep yeah. going. Yeah, punch to the stomach. Oh, keep going. Knee to the face. Keep going. Elbows. It, it. They're they're incredible athletes. They're they're uh, some way they are immune to it. And, uh, you know, imagine knowing that, imagine feeling all of that and then coming back for more and more and more and more. Right. Um, and we've seen some incredible fights where guys have taken an immense amount of damage and then they just keep coming back and somehow survive and then somehow win. Um, so yeah, I have so much respect for fighters. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, I personally wish they would get paid more for what they do and the risks that they take. Uh, but you know, hopefully in due time that happens. I actually went to a, a Muay, Muay Thai. I might be saying that wrong, but Muay Thai class. And I think Muay Thai is a drink. Muay Thai. <laughs> Muay, Thai. No, Muay, Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muay Thai. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Muay Thai is a drink. Great drink. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. Muay Thai. Um, and it was like an hour. I was – I mean, I'm not exactly in like the best shape right now, but still I was absolutely – dead after yeah. 10 minutes of just like punching and and kicking and all this stuff nice, and i'm thinking yeah. to myself i'm like i can't believe these guys are are going out there training and also like basically defending themselves too did you just do one class one class that's it that's it, <laughs> COVID, it, it in, in my in my defense COVID hit so the class has actually stopped so i think so quit. you went the first week of march yeah Convenient. would you have gone back honestly um yeah I actually would. Why actually did you go? What? Why did you go? Um, my buddy brought it brought it up to me. It was Sunday morning. What else? Hey, football's not on. What else are you doing on a Sunday morning? Nice, nice way to exercise. Try something new. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe, maybe I'm uh, I'm taking Conor McGregor's spot. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope when uh, normalcy resumes, you will uh, resume as well. Yeah, I hope so. Like Johnny, I'm also a novice when it comes to UFC. As you can tell, I can't even pronounce yeah. a martial arts name correctly. <laughs> One thing that I find fascinating is that you have these active fighters, very like very prom- uh, prominent in the commentating department, adding an extra layer of analysis and entertainment. Could you see other sports using that as a benchmark and bringing that to their sports where they have current players yeah. Live, uh, live broadcast. So that's a really, uh, that's a really interesting question because I do think one of the things that the UFC has done really well is develop a lot of fighters into broadcasters. Um, they did it very early on with the Randy Couture's of the world, and now you see it with a bunch of fighters that they have on their roster. Uh, the one big difference between, say, UFC and NBA is, you know, a fighter's only going to fight maybe three, four times max a year. It's hard to get. You know, right now you'll see like Draymond Green on TNT sometimes, but that's because his team isn't in the bubble. But it's hard in the middle of the season to get pick a player, any player, you know, start commenting, commentating on a game or being in the studio. It's just really hard. I don't think those sports are, 
you know, they're, they're, they're not really uh, built for that. Now, we saw last year, I do believe it was, Greg Olson of the uh, Carolina Panthers during a bye week, I think, do a game for Fox. And I found that that was very interesting because you get great insight. He's an active player. Uh, he knows a lot of these guys, etc. But other than an injured player doing it, I can't really see anyone who would be able to pull that off because how would they, right? Like, I mean, like you're either traveling or you're playing or it's like a rest day. It works very well in the fight sports because, you know, like I said, they're only fighting three, four times a year. So there's so much, and there's almost an event every weekend. So there's plenty of opportunities to do other stuff. So uh, I love it when it happens. It's really cool when, you know, like I remember one time like Kobe was, was on inside the NBA. I think there was like a stretch or maybe he was injured or something like that. Or you'll see, um, which is also really cool, uh, sort of like this Draymond thing where, you know, the playoffs start and there's a big name player who, you know, whose team didn't make the playoffs and they'll, he'll show up for a few, um, you know, games in studio, whether it's for um, TNT or ESPN. Last year when I got to do some sideline games, um, Vince Carter was the analyst for the first time and he was still an active player in the league. So that was really cool as well. But long and short, I, I, I just think it would be hard for an active player to do that given the way those sports are structured. And, and speaking of people who are like that, uh, one of your good buddies, Daniel Cormier, who I think is hilarious, who's an avid guest on your show, uh, Ariel Hawani's MMA show. I honestly feel like you guys have like a very like brotherly brotherly relationship. Have you guys always been like that? And then walk us through the first time that you guys met, because I got to hear that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, okay, so there's like two first time we met stories. The first time we ever spoke, period, uh, I was at the Apple store in uh, in Manhattan uh, because my computer broke and he was about to make his strike force debut and I was supposed to interview him, but my computer broke. So I did the interview from the Apple store and I transcribed it on one of those like laptops that they have on the table. That's the first time I ever spoke to Daniel Cormier. Now in November of 2009, I met him for the first time in person and uh, it was at a strike force media day in Chicago. And his good buddy, uh, King Mohammed Lawal, was fighting on that card, and he was there supporting him. And at the end of the media day, he said, like, oh, yeah, hey, let's uh, let's go grab something to eat. We're going to get some food. And I, and I was like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't eat with fighters. You know, it's uh, it's unethical. I can't, you know, I'm a journalist. I can't be hanging out with yeah. fighters. He's like, that's crazy. You know, like he's just like a very happy-go-lucky guy. He said, I'm going to make it my mission. One day we're going to be friends. <laughs> and I don't care how it's going to happen, but we're going to be friends one day. And now here we are 11 years later. And, you know, we're doing this show together that kind of started in the midst of this uh, whole pandemic stuff, DC and Hawani, and it's it's, it's going really well. Um, and I think, like, you know, the cat is sort of out of the bag in terms of our friendship. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, his career is coming to an end uh, next next week on, you know, an incredible stage fighting for the belt and all that stuff. Um, and you're, you're right. Like, he is a hilarious guy, and he's going to have an amazing – post-fighting career he's already one of the best broadcasters in the sport but i Definitely. think that you know if he just remains an mma broadcaster something went wrong because i think that he has the ability to be much more than that um and 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 transition out of the sport not leave the sport ever but to transition out of the sport too so uh, i'm really excited and i'm i'm very excited about the show with him because it's a totally different show than what i'm used to and uh, we just have so much fun like it, it really does feel like i do no prep for that show whatsoever uh, it just feels like, you know, I'm talking to a friend for an hour and we make each other laugh. And, uh, you know, we, we talk maybe like five times a day now already. And very rarely is it about fighting. Um, like just two days ago, 
I was watching the uh, the Rockets against the Trailblazers game, and uh, my guy Carmelo hit a big three at the end of the game. So I just sent him a gif of Melo doing like the three to the dome thing. Yeah, and like he, yeah. he, he, then he FaceTimes me and I'm in bed and he's like, effing Melo. <laughs> and then you, sometimes you take a step back. It's like, this is Daniel Cormier, one of the best fighters on the planet. Uh, but we just, you know, we've developed and that's really who he is. Like he is not, he might be the most humble superstar that I've ever met. Like you, like you would never imagine that this guy is one of the best fighters of all time, just the way he conducts himself and the way he is towards people. So yeah, he's a really special guy and I can't wait for that fight. Yeah, me too. And I, speaking of, uh, Ariel and, uh, oh, sorry, what is, what is it? Uh, DC and Hawaii. DC, DC and Hawaii, sorry. Uh, that clip of his, uh, his impersonation of Hamza Shabaya yeah. was hilarious. That was pretty spot on, I'm not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, well, he spends a lot of time with those Dagestani guys. So him talking to Habib in that broken English is very funny. I don't know why he speaks like that, but he sounds like a Russian person when he's speaking to Habib. Uh, and that cracks me up as well. well. Yeah, speaking of Habib, I saw that interview you had with him. Uh, I think it was a couple years ago or something like that, or maybe where you guys were trying to get the uh, Israeli and uh, yeah, what is it? Uh, wherever he's from, uh, the mu- uh, Muslim and Muslim, Jewish. Yeah, Muslim Jewish yeah. connection going. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it worked to be honest, but uh, <laughs> a, a lot of people bring that one up for some reason. Um, yeah, you know, Habib, amazing guy. Uh, sometimes we don't see eye to eye. But you know, no denying that he's one of the all-time best. And then, um, last thing on the on DC, um, do you see after his fight with Miocic another Cormier Jones three, or you think he's done? If he loses, I think he's definitely done. And if he wins, I would put it at like I don't know, ninety percent done, ninety-five percent. I really think he he's had enough. Um, you know, he's forty-one. He said he wanted to be done by forty, so he almost you know he almost got there on time. Um, I just think his body is tired. This guy's been competing for so long, you know, as as a kid, wrestling and then transitioning to MMA, you know, the whole ride to the Olympics and to grind. He's a, you know, stand out. Yeah, it's just a grind. So, you know, he's he may be 41, but I'm sure his body has many more, you know, years on it. So if I had to bet, I think he's done. I feel like he's done. And and if he wins, he wins the belt in his final fight. Like, what better way to go out than that? Like, what, what would be the point, right? So if I had to guess, I I, I would say that he's done. So I got a question from a friend, Matt Sobel, mm. and he wants to know how has COVID and the quarantine in general helped you boost your platform and just like expand the sport consumers' interest in UFC in general? Oh, that's a good question, Matt. Um, <laughs> is he with us right now? Or no, he's he not just... with us. Okay. Uh, well, it's still a good question. Uh, you know, I feel like I was built for this sort of thing. You know, when I started um, really covering MMA in in 2000, so I went, I, I was at Syracuse from 01 to 04. And, and did my radio show and all that. But when I graduated, I actually broke my ankle like two weeks after graduating and I was going to go to the Olympics to work uh, for NBC as a runner. A runner is someone that like just pretty much like makes copies and gets coffee. You know, I mean, it's like pretty much the lowest um, on the totem pole in terms of production, but it was a great introduction to the world of TV production working at the Olympics in Athens in 04. I was going to do that, but I couldn't because I broke my ankle. So then I started to go down this path of TV production. I worked at HBO Sports and I worked at other places as well. And then in 07, I was just kind of tired of it. And I, and I, uh, I got back to this dream of being an MMA journalist. And um, I was working at a place called Spike TV, which now is Paramount Network. And at the time they were the home of the UFC. And I got that job in September of 07. I lasted a week there. 
because I wanted to work for them because they were the home of the UFC. But then I realized they didn't produce any of the content for the UFC, and it was a really boring job. So I quit after a week, and they were really mad at me. They said this was going to be the biggest mistake of my life. I was going to regret it forever, et cetera, et cetera. But I really knew that this was the crossroads of my life. And so they made me stick around for a month and a half until they found someone to replace me. And during that month and a half, I uh, started my own website. And my goal with the website was every morning I was going to post an audio interview with a fighter. I wanted to show people that I could really interview fighters. That's what I really wanted to do. And there wasn't really anyone that I thought was interviewing them the right way. So I was doing these interviews at home, actually sitting at the same little desk that I'm sitting at right now in this spare bedroom that I've turned into like a makeshift office slash studio and uh, reaching out to them via MySpace, which was the social media site du jour. And, uh, and, and just like, you know, banging out these interviews. And so I feel like back to the question pandemic, like I kind of feel like I, I'm back to where I started, except I just so happen to be working for ESPN. So I'm not used to, you know, I don't have to be in a fancy studio. I don't have to have all the bells and whistles. As long as I could talk to people, interview them and get it out to the public. I feel like that's all that really matters. As long as, you know, the content is good, it doesn't have to be all fancy schmancy. So, uh, during this time, you know, at the beginning I was down as everyone else was, but then I realized that I have a responsibility as someone who's in the media and who is almost like an escape valve for people, right? Um, we use sports and podcasts and YouTube and things like that as an escape from our, our, our regular lives. And as someone who has that power and that platform, I need to use that the right way. And so I really tried hard to put out the best kind of content possible, good interviews, things to make people laugh, like the show with DC. And, uh, you know, I wish we weren't in this situation. I, I truly, honestly wish we could go back to how we were living not that long ago. But um, I, I'm proud of the work that we've done. I'm proud of, you know, how we've uh, been able to kind of, you know, call an audible, so to speak, and, and, and not do the typical stuff. So uh, I, I feel like this is familiar territory for me. A lot of people might not be used to working from home or doing stuff like, you know, on your computer and all that. But for me, I think it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well. And, um, you know, when you get feedback from people saying like, I was really down and listening to you and Daniel talk really lifted my spirits. Like that's the best compliment that you can ever receive that someone used you as an escape valve. What's better than that. So, um, despite how depressing it's been at times and frustrating and upsetting, I am proud of what we've been able to do. And I think the people have been happy as well. Yeah, you're killing it. Thanks, man. But you don't watch UFC, so what do you No, know? no, I, I started because of the quarantine, oh. because of you. Oh, really? But I'm, a, but I'm still a novice. <laughs> I, I respect that. But so oh, how right. did you – so so let me ask, why did you guys want me on the show if you're not UFC fans? Cap, Justin's a huge uh, UFC fan. I am a huge UFC fan. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. I've been begging or telling these guys so that we got to get Ariel on, we got to get him on soon. Because we've had some pretty great guests, but we really haven't had anybody within the UFC. And I don't really know if there's any Jewish – athletes who are fighting in the UFC. you got to help us out with that as well. Yeah, there were a couple back in the day, but no one really of note. Um, there was this one guy, Nis Nisan Osternik. Uh, there was a guy, Ido Pariente, who was um, in Elite XC. There was Noad Lahat, who uh, is from Israel. He's probably like the most well-known one. Yeah, there there haven't been that many. So Yeah. Um, which is, you know, maybe a little surprising because there's Krav Maga and all this stuff. You know, Bellator has been to Israel a couple times, and they've had some shows there with some local talent, but no one's really broken through. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's why we had to get you on, of course. Come on, man. you're the, oh, biggest, I appreciate the biggest Jew in, in MMA right now. <laughs> I thought it was uh, Jake Lebowitz. Who's Jake's friend here? That's, that's, also, that's also my friend. I grew up with him. He went to my, to my high school and to my sleepaway camp. 
Wow. What was he like? Was he oh, well, as hairy as he is now? Probably hairier back then, honestly. Well, on top of his head, but like his body, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. He, I don't know if you guys know who George the Animal Steel is, the old school pro wrestler, but like he just had like a fur coat as far as like body hair is concerned. <laughs> That's Jake. Jake is corporate Jake, as I call him, because uh-huh. he's just so corporate. But yeah, uh, he is, uh, he's the producer of the, the Monday show that I do mm-hmm. and, uh, has done a really great job. So I was happy to hear that you were buds with him. Yeah, at sleepaway camp, actually, people used to yell, like, ah, it's a Lebo, like, when they would, like, when he would walk by. He'll, he'll love that little <laughs> shout out there, I'm sure. Because he's, like, just such a behemoth? <laughs> so we did this thing called Tribes, where you did, like, a scouting report on, like, an animal that you saw that day. And, like, I'm pretty sure one of his buddies one day was, like, this other day I was in the woods and I saw a wild Lebowitz. You know, uh, <laughs> it was one of those things. <laughs> and so like, how did awesome you guy. put two and two together that we work together? Maybe his Twitter, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Pretty funny. Like small, small world, though, when you're Jewish, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to lie. I've been hyping you up. I've been sending them stuff to our group chat, like your DC and Hawani posts and everything like that, just letting it. So we're, we're, we're thankful we got you on. So I appreciate it. No, no, thank you. It's always good. Like I said, I'm very proud of uh, of my faith and, and, and of the fact that I'm Jewish. It, it really – it's a big part of who I am. And so anytime I could talk sports, but also – Judaism and of course. talk to young guys, so I'm I'm uh, more than happy to do it. That's what we love to do. That's that's basically our brand, Judaism and sports. But I want I got a couple more UFC for you. Yes, sir. Um, so of course the the big news, Dana White announcing no Connor fights this year. I'm extremely upset about it. Um, he's one of the, if not the biggest personality in in fighting. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And who do you think that he's going to fight next, or he should fight next? I know there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen, certain fights and people mm-hmm. losing, people winning. But what what are your thoughts? Well, I actually wrote a, a column about this for ESPN uh, this morning, and uh, I feel like in the, Thursday morning. Oh no, is it Thursday today? No, Wednesday. Is it Wednesday or Thursday? It's Thursday. 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 <laughs> um, you know, the UFC has had a great year, uh, all things considered. Uh, you know, they were one of the first sports to come back in uh, you know in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, their testing has gone well. The COVID testing. Uh, you know, for for a couple of months there, they were the only live sport on on ESPN for God's sake. So it's been actually a great year in the midst of all this. And before the pandemic, you had the Connor fight in January, you had the the Jones Reyes fight in February, you had the Joanna Zhang Wei Li fight in March. I mean, it was a really great year. You know, remember late last year, Connor said, you know, I, I'm I'm going to fight three times this year at least, and I'm going to have this season. And everyone kind of rolled their eyes. Yeah, of course. You know, you never fight three times. You're always in trouble and all this stuff. And then he comes back and he wins in 40 seconds and he's on his best behavior. And you're like, holy smokes! If they can get three fights out of Connor this year, that's going to be incredible because it's just such a big deal when he fights. And to me, the one dark cloud hanging over this year for them, like the one thing that they messed up was was Connor's career because there's no reason why Connor is not fighting right now. Connor's not like nickel and diming them. He's not trying to renegotiate. He's not John Jones or Masvidal or Henry Cejudo. He wants to fight. Initially, there was hesitation because there were no fans, no gate, right? Like they, they couldn't sell tickets. They couldn't make money off of him. And I understand he generates a lot of money, right? But at some point, you have to come to the realization that the fans aren't coming to the events anytime soon. So you're just going to keep them on the sidelines for a year and a half until the fans can come back. That would be a travesty. So this guy is itching to get back in there. He's essentially begging to get back in there. He's saying, I'm retired. I'm going to fight Manny Pacquiao, all this stuff, yeah. just to kind of get their attention. And Dana's just like, oh, no, he's retired, and he's not going to fight this year. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to buy time for the fans to come back. And uh, I can assure you the moment the fans can come back, they're going to try to make a Conor fight. But to, to them, I say, like, hey, you could still make a lot of money off of pay-per-view and, and all the buzz that a Conor fight can, can generate with ads and all that stuff. 
get the guy a fight. Like you could put, you could put, you could make a one fight card with Conor McGregor on it and do well over a million buys. He's that Easily. big of a deal, right? And to me, they don't like, they don't like when someone gets bigger than the brand. They don't like when someone tries to tell them what to do. Conor's not really doing any of that right now. Like he just wants to fight. He was very clear. I wanted to fight three times this year. I, I wanted to fight in January, then sometime in the spring, and then come back at the end of the year and fight for my belt, you know, the lightweight title. And yeah. and we're going to end this year with him fighting for 40 seconds in one fight? What a travesty. What a shame. Here you have an eager, motivated, healthy Conor McGregor, and you can't figure out a way to get him a fight. As far as opponents, put him in there against Diaz for the third time. You put yeah. a Diaz-Conor fight in an empty arena, you tell me that won't be incredible theater. Put him in there against Tony Ferguson. Put him in there against Dustin Poirier. Like, wh- what more do you want? We're going to wait for the Gaethje-Khabib fight. The winner of that fight is going to be ready in April. And now Khabib is talking about GSP if he wins. Like it, to me, it doesn't make any sense. It's it's uh, it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate they're not talking right now. I don't know how we went from them being all like kumbaya in January to now they're all mad at each other because of the pandemic because they can't sell tickets. It, it makes my head hurt. So it's unfortunate. <laughs> all I'll say is just because Dana says right now that, you know, He's not coming back. It doesn't mean like that's ironclad. Things can change. November, December, who knows? But yeah, right now there are no talks of him coming back, and I think that's a travesty. Yeah, definitely a tra- travesty, and very well said by you. I think a, a lot of people who aren't in the media and just, just like looking at Twitter and, and watching videos, they, they they hear two different sides. So like a lot of people don't know that like like you said, Connor's itching to get back. Connor wants to fight. So you think that tweet by him that said like I accept to the Hamzat Shemaev? You think that was legit? You think he would have? No. So that, that wasn't that wasn't about Hamzat at all. That was uh, him, you know, flirting with Manny Pacquiao. That uh, was just people think, twisting it and then putting yeah, it like I. Accept. I don't know why they. Why, why would Connor fight Hamzat Shemaev? Exactly. Why? Oh my God. First of all, he would he would stomp him. He would actually or Hamzat would actually stomp him. He would take him to the ground and be over. But there's no upside, right? There's no upside to do that fight. Like, no one knows who he is, right? We know who he is, but, you know, the the, the fan base at large doesn't know who he is. The Johnny and and Maxis. Exactly, exactly. The two Johnny (laughs) Come Lately's over there. uh, The the novices, as they call themselves. So, but... Big word for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) He's he's so good, this guy, but yet no one knows who he is. So why would you take that fight, right? There's, there's, There's really no upside. So, no, he wasn't talking about that. Again, he was trying to like be, hey, I'm over here. Like, let's talk. You know, yeah. I, I just don't understand why they're not talking, why they're not trying to figure it out. If they would have put that, so that July 11th pay per view, UFC 251, it reportedly did 1.3 million pay per view buys, which is an incredible number, especially in this new pay per view era with ESPN Plus. If they would have put Connor on that card with no other sports going on, no NBA back yet, no MLB, no NHL playoffs, all that. They would have done two million buys, in my opinion, <laughs> easy. And again, it just like it, it doesn't make sense why they're not doing yeah. this. But you know, they have their reasons. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ariel, it's time for another installment of the Matzo Ball Minute matzo, questions. Matzo, Get matzo. excited over there. Gonna shoot off a couple <laughs> couple rapid fire questions for you. Feel free to elaborate. Um, we'll start you off with one real quick. Raptors, Canadians, or R.I.P. Montreal Expos? Whoa, 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 I don't even understand the question. What is the you question? You gotta pick one. You gotta pick one. Wait, rap- who's your oh. favorite? Raptors. Oh, Canadian- rap- oh, the RIP threw me off. Um, <laughs> so, Raptors, Canadians, or Expos? Oh, Expos for sure. Really? Absolutely, yeah. Expo. When I was a kid, Expos, Knicks, Bills, those were my three favorite teams, and I, I-, I pray that they'll come back soon. So, yeah, I-, I miss them a lot. 
I saw you posted about the the Raptors the other day. Yeah, I thought I thought that you that you would have been a Raptor fan. Well, so the Raptors came in 1995. I was already you know all in on the Knicks, so I wasn't going to change allegiances. But you know everyone was excited that Canada had two teams, right? Because Vancouver got a team as well, the Vancouver Grizzlies. By the way, were you guys born in 1995? Six. That's literally when I was born. Oh my gosh. In Max 96 though. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is wild. Um, <laughs> In any event, <laughs> hey, you got I, some young, you got some young UFC fighters that you that are probably no, I know, than... but I I feel like only like now has it hit me that I'm starting to actually get into that like wow I'm actually kind of old now. Um, I would have guessed that you were like 30 honestly. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, you look really young. Yeah, you do look very young for your yeah. age. You do. I appreciate that. Um, so everyone kind of had a soft spot for them. They weren't really good. Uh, and obviously the Knicks have sucked for a really long time, 20 years or so, except for that one year, uh, 2012, 2013. Uh, so, I mean, I have a lot of pride, Canadian pride, and so I'm, I'm happy for the Raptors. I like, uh, you know, seeing them succeed. Also, I just think that they're an incredibly run franchise. I mean, like from the top down with Masai and Nick Nurse, I think, should be the coach of the year. And, 100%. Um, you know, what they've been able to do sans – Kawhi is incredible. I, I really think they're going to make the finals, and I don't even think it's like a, a like I, I think a lot of people are overlooking them, but I don't even think it's like a hot take that they're going to make the finals. I, I think that they are the best team in the East by far. Um, team, you know what I mean? Well, like they play the best team basketball, certainly the best team defense. So uh, I can't I can't wait to see what happens with that. But yeah, Expos for life always. Well, just uh, just to piggyback on that, why do you think that even though the they're the reigning champs and no Kawhi left, but yeah. are they so like disre- uh, disrespected and underrated? It's crazy to me. They won 15 games at one point this season. Uh, it's just that American bias. They don't have like the superstar, and they're in Toronto and the Raptors for the longest time, or you know the the purple dinosaur team. But yeah, by far the most disrespected defending champs in in North American sports history, at least that I can remember. Um, and at first it made sense because Kawhi left, Danny Green left. Okay, fine, I get it. But it became apparent, at least to me, very early on, like this team is really good. Maybe not as good on paper as last year's team, but now with the emergence of Pascal Siakam and how good he is, uh, with the emergence of OG Ananobi, who's turning into an incredible player, with Norm Powell healthy again, Marcus Saul healthy again. They're one of the few teams that I think benefited from the fact that, like, I think the Lakers right now were hurt by the stoppage because they were doing so well in March. But I think the time off and losing Avery Bradley and uh, Rondo has hurt them. I think the, the time off actually helped the Raptors because they got Gasol back, they got Norm Powell back. Um, and they were, they, they were just like decimated by injuries all year long. Portland as well has been, has been, you know, um, they benefited from it getting, yeah. you know, Nurkic back, um, Zach Collins. So I, I think some teams are benefiting from it. Some teams aren't. And I think the Raptors are very clearly in my opinion. And I also think like this mindset where there's no home court advantage, everyone's in it together and the tightest teams are going to win. Like the Sixers are a mess and you're seeing them, you know, fall apart on the sidelines. And I think Brett Brown, unfortunately, is probably going to get fired at the end of this year. And you're kind of seeing that the teams that have, like, holes in them are going to fall apart in this bubble. And I think the closest-knit teams are going to thrive, and I think the Raptors are one of those. The, the no-home-court advantage really helps the Clippers because the Clippers ever played the Lakers in the seven-game series at Staples Center. Yeah. That's seven home games for the Lakers. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, just to say, like, I don't know if you guys agree with me, I think the NBA has done an amazing job, like – 
Even yeah. at first, like the virtual fan thing seemed a little weird. I actually kind of like it now. Like you yeah. see the random celebrity there. It's you saw it's a little just, Wayne the other day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not the guy up. it's not yeah. that bad. And and the sound doesn't seem all that. Even the NHL, I think, has done a great job. MLB is a total disaster. Yeah. Uh, they don't know what they're doing over there. But uh, those two leagues and the level of play has been good. I'm a little worried about some of these injuries that we're seeing, and I was you know very worried about that going on going into it. Like you know you see. Um, Ben Simmons got hurt and uh, Jonathan Isaacs. So I feel like maybe throwing these guys into the fire after four and a half months off might be a little risky. But other than that, I think the NBA has done a phenomenal job and the NHL. Agreed. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't say better. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of injuries, also Jake Muzzin took a crazy uh, fall. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I hope he's all right. But I did not see on. that. Was that today? No, it was it was yesterday, right? Or a couple, a couple days ago? Yeah, it was a it was a freak accident. He like went head first into some guy's knee. It was it was brutal. Wow. Yeah, but continuing off MBM, uh, bagels and locks or an egg sandwich? <laughs> is it just is it okay? Wait, is it egg salad? Like a bacon, no, 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 no. Like a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel, or okay, a, yeah, something yeah. like a breakfast so sandwich. My, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I love um, one of my favorite things, and this is something I wouldn't eat when I was younger because I was kosher. Sesame seed bagel, egg, cheese, and turkey. That's I like nice. That. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but I do, I do love my bagels and lox as wow. well. Especially, have you guys ever had Montreal bagels? No. No. Oh my gosh, you're missing out. Like your New York bagels are just so like plump. You know, they're, they're massive. They're gigantic. <laughs> best, bagels the, best bagels in the world. No, no, no. You see, you haven't had Montreal bagels. Montreal bagels, without a doubt, the best bagels in the world. Like it's not even a question. Um, New York right. bagels, don't get me wrong, are good. They're just not Montreal bagels. I guess there's only one way, one way to find out. We're gonna have to get a Montreal yeah. bagel. Yeah, you gotta go there. Uh, when this is all done, you guys gotta take a road trip. It's not that far. It's like no, you know, six hours away by car. Yeah. Um, Do you host us? Well, I don't live there, so, but I can ask <laughs> well, my mom. Parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can come for Shabbat dinner. It'll be great. Oh, so let's set it up. Let's do it. Done. That's gonna be the longest trip ever to get a bagel. <laughs> no, but it's worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. Uh, there's a, actually, there's a, ba- there's a place in New York called Black Sea Bagel. Uh, a friend of mine from, uh, from high school from, opened it and uh, recreated the Montreal Bagel. It's not quite 100%, but it's the closest thing that you'll find to a Montreal Bagel in New York. So if you're ever in the city, check out Black Sea Bagel. I think they're on the Lower East Side, um, and it's, it's pretty darn close. That's going to that's gonna upset a lot of our New York listeners. I love it. Yeah, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> so Ariel, who wins in a fight, Adam Sandler or Seth Rogen? Tough one. Uh, <laughs> two legendary Jews. Seth Rogen's lost a lot of weight. He looks good. Yeah, yeah he does look good right now. I'll go with Adam Sandler. You know, he's more of an oh. athlete. Plays basketball. You ever see him on the court with those passes? Oh, yeah. he's incredible. Yeah. Um, the legendary big guy. Yeah, I'll go with Sandler. Sandler ahead, took Maxie. a beating from Michael Irvin in the longest yard. He could take a punch. Yeah, <laughs> take a beating. He's, he's acting. I wouldn't compare Michael Irvin to Seth Rogen though. That's right. <laughs> We were talking to Adam Schefter. We were asking him about if Adam Sandler was a big athlete on the scene of the longest yard. And he said he didn't see him do anything on the scene. How about how about you just casually name dropping him? We were talking to Adam Schefter. Damn. You're brag, Cap. Wow. Here I am thinking like, oh, wow, I'm maybe the biggest name that you've had on this show. And you're just casually talking to Adam Schefter. My bad. You're my favorite (laughs) guest that we've had on this. Um, So who who, in your opinion, who's the best Canadian Jewish athlete? Oh, my gosh. Best Canadian Jewish athlete. Holy sm- Other than me, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that one guy, that up and comer in, in the UFC. Uh, I think he performed last card. That Canadian. He looked unbelievable. I forgot his name. It can't come to my mind. Tanner Boser, the heavyweight. Yeah, the heavyweight. Yeah. He's definitely not Jewish. <laughs> oh, no, oh yeah, no, no, no. 
I know. I was just saying Canadian. Oh, yeah. He's like a farm boy from Alberta. Um, <laughs> wow. I don't even know. I can't even think of one. I yeah, I'm, I, I just Wikipedia did, and I don't know any of these guys. Corey Kalk. I, I think the answer is you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, I just looked at a list <laughs> of Canadian Jews. Robbie, but I don't know any of these people are. Um, do you have an answer for me? No. <laughs> we thought you had the answer. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't even know. Uh, you, well, I know because he's not Canadian. I was gonna say Doug Gottlieb. You remember Doug Gottlieb? Yeah. Uh, he well, he's a sports like personality now, but he he played college basketball in Oklahoma State and uh, Notre Dame. He was actually at the Maccabi Games in uh, Mexico when I was there. But yeah, I can't. I, I feel I'm a little bit embarrassed. I can't even think of one. <laughs> well, like, that'll be you, one for you. You got to get back to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys remember uh, the Jewish Jordan? Did you ever hear about the Jewish Jordan, Tamir Goodman? Oh, our Jewish Jordan is John Shire. John Shire. Who's John Shire? Duke basketball. Duke? No, I don't know him. Was he? Was he? Was he? What year was he? Oh seven to uh, two thousand ten. Really? And now he's the um, associate head coach. Just, yeah. He is okay. Ooh, Lanny Poffo. He was pretty good. <laughs> uh, he, he was a pro wrestler back in the day. So you really got you here, huh? Yeah, you really did. This is actually going to bother me a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no one really good comes to mind here. So. Well, while well, you're I'll, thinking, I'll get back to you. Yeah, while you're thinking, I'll hop into the next one. So if you could pick any two fighters from any generation to fight in their prime, who would it be? Like, for example, a Chuck Liddell versus a John Jones or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, right now? Right now I'll go with GSP versus Habib since that's the fight everyone's talking about. Um, Good promo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with that one because I think it would be a fascinating matchup. Well, another big fight coming up, Anasanya or Costa. How cool do you got? Oh, well, you know, I don't make picks because these fighters get so mad when you when you pick against them. Um, you think they're going to listen to the locker room? Nah. So, okay, I'll, I'll break my rule for you guys. I got out of Sanya. I love it. I, I, think I, I think he's a better striker. I think Costa's going to come in wild, and I think he's going to rock him and, and potentially stop him. So I think Izzy retains. But don't tell well, Costa I said that because he'll come and break me in half. <laughs> I won't. I won't. But but since I got you on a hot streak now, I'm gonna keep you going. I mean, UFC mm-hmm. 252, August 15th. No, you can't ask me to make that pick. <laughs> Come on, man. I'll just hit up Jake Levwitz for, for the gambling picks. We're throwing in a parlay. Come on, you gotta give us some help. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, you know Jake is a degenerate gambler, right? Of course, so like are we. Well, okay, I you am. guys are. I mean, like, I he's am. like really no, no, degenerate. No, 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 is. I am. I am. Okay, I had no idea he was that much of a degenerate. Uh, number two, one thing that's been really interesting that has happened um, in the midst of all this, is my friends slash family members, they all want to bet, right? They miss betting on things. Oh, so yeah. They keep asking me for picks, and it drives me nuts because I don't gamble, and I don't want to be emotionally invested in the fights. Also, it's a lot of freaking pressure, you know? Like, geez, you're asking me for parlay picks and all this stuff. And my brother-in-law for the first card, 251, no, no, 249, my brother-in-law, who doesn't watch fighting at all, just said, like, what are your picks? So I gave him just, you know, I just gave him all my picks. I thought he was going to go based on the odds. He made, he did a parlay of the entire card of all my <laughs> picks, which is like 11 fights, uh-huh. which is, as you know, impossible. Yeah. Um, I think I started off 7-0, and and then I lost one. I ended up going 9 for not, I think it was nine and two. So, I, like, at first, I was like, what? You did a parlay on my picks? Like, that's just the dumbest thing you could do. But then I was winning and winning and winning. I was like, oh, my God, imagine I actually go 11 and 0 here. That would be insane. <laughs> but in the end, I did. <laughs> well, well, 
Well, now I want you. Well, now I want. Now I yeah. want your picks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna do that to you. But I do want to ask regarding that card. Do you think Sugar Sean just is gonna continue his wrath of dominance? Man, Marlon Vera is really good. He's the best fighter he's ever fought in the UFC. I mean, gun to my head, do I pick him? Yeah, because he's so darn good. But I don't think he's gonna steamroll him. I don't think he's gonna steamroll him like the other guys. Great. Well, I mean, I'm I'm extremely excited for that fight, and we appreciate you doing this matzo ball minute and coming on the podcast. Sorry, Great. that was more of a matzo ball 35 minute. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah no worries. <laughs> but we got a little, a little too much Raptors talk over there. Just Sorry, a sir. quick, uh, a quick. You got some nice teeth too. You're you're a very attractive man. I'm gonna tell you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So are you. We got one more question that we asked all of our guests just to wrap things up. If you could talk to the 15 year old version of yourself, what kind of advice would you tell him? Oh my gosh, what a question. Um, oh, uh, I would tell him to enjoy the ride. Um, don't be so nervous all the time. It's all going to work out. Have fun. Appreciate your friends. Appreciate your family. Appreciate, appreciate what you have. Sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're a young, at least I was, I was this kind of kid. Like I was always so nervous about my future. What am I going to do? You know, what am I going to turn into? Am I going to have a family? Am I going to have a, a, a wife and kids? I was nervous now. You know, have fun. Break some rules. You know, go crazy. Do, do fun. Not, and not to suggest that I was like some nerd or anything like that because I wasn't. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I was just like an anxious Jew, you know? Um, so just, It'll all work out. Have fun. Enjoy your youth. And, uh, you know, appreciate everything that's around you. I'll, I'll throw one more. You almost, got, you almost got me emotional there. You were like the Kyle Bravlowski in South Park kind of type? No, I was definitely not. <laughs> I was definitely not him. I was, uh, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I sometimes joke with my wife, like, to, I do the voice, the Cartman voice with the cheesy poofs to get Oh, you gotta, you gotta give it to I'll us. I'll give it to nah, us. Come on. Come on. Oh, come on. I'm a huge South Park fan. You gotta, you know, come the, on. <laughs> That's pretty spot on. That's pretty good. That's yeah, so yeah. good. That's unbelievable. He's great. He's great. Legendary show. Definitely. <laughs> But we do want to thank you so much. This this was awesome, and I, and I gotta tell you, if if who you picked Adesanya, that's right. Yeah. Well, if Costa wins, I'm gonna be tweeting at you, dropping f bombs. So just letting you know. Bring it, bring <laughs> it. But thank you so Anytime. much. Sir. It was awesome. Guys, thank you. Uh, love talking to you guys. It was amazing. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> I know that uh, you know I've been asking to be on the show for a while, and you guys told me you were busy. Doug, the uh, Adam Schefters of the world and whatnot. <laughs> Here I am getting emotional. So thank you for carving out some time. <laughs> No problem. Thank you so much, Ariel. We Thank appreciate you. it. Cool. And Thanks, wait, guys. wait, before you go, tell your mom though we're coming to Montreal and we're staying at your house. I've I've already texted her, by the way. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Thanks, guys. All right. Later. Thanks, yeah. Bye. Bye. Another great interview with Ariel Hawani. So happy we finally got him on. I love this guy. Shout out to you, Laz, and your buddy Jake for getting him on. Uh, I mean, I love this guy. I've, I've known him for a while, and he's basically the gold center for MMA. And I know you guys love him as well. Yeah, honestly, like I, I just want to be best friends with him. I swear to God, he's he's the coolest guy ever. I don't even I didn't even like UFC until this whole pandemic thing happened. And Cappy, obviously, you've been you know hyping up UFC for the last like five months and. Um, I actually got into it just because of, you know, Ariel, how he is in general. But uh, 
yeah, I'm definitely more of an REL fan, I'd say, than a, than a UFC fan right now. But uh, <laughs> hopefully I can, uh, you know, learn my stuff, learn my shit, my Muay Thai, Muay Thai, whatever, whatever Maxi was talking about. My Thai. No, I know. I was just fucking with Maxi. But, uh, um, Muay, yeah, Muay, Muay. Hopefully I can have my own actual opinion about fighters in the next couple months. Yeah, I had to keep it together when you asked uh, when you asked him what he did during summer camp and his response was, <laughs> "What do you think we do? Sit in our igloos?" <laughs> really had to really had to uh, hold it together on that. But very very funny guy, very personable, and definitely going to start watching more UFC after after talking to him. I think us three should fight each other in, in a ring for for uh, some content. I'll take my money on Cappy. <laughs> Laz, I feel like you're a biter. A biter? What, what would I bite with? That's the joke. Oh, <laughs> I, feel like you, I feel like you guys would try and pick pick on me. Honestly, I feel like you guys would. Well, no, it wouldn't be a tag team. It's one on one on one. That's I would just run, I would That's run around the ring though, just to get you tired though. Have you chased me a little bit? <laughs> I feel like Laz is the guy. Like when you fight him, he like gets like ticklish, and he's like, "Stop tickling me." <laughs> I like tick. I tickle them. What I thought was really interesting with Ariel though was um, I had no idea this. Him coming into the interview, I didn't know that he doesn't give his picks or he doesn't like giving his picks. So like when we asked him his his picks for UFC 252, obviously we got a couple things out of him. We squeezed some things out of him, but overall he didn't give us too much with UFC 252. Well, what are your picks, Cap? Because I'm going to be gambling on Saturday and I need to know what the hell I'm betting on. All right, so like don't get upset if these are wrong because like there's actually a lot of good fights. Like your Rangers um, Winnipeg Jets prediction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was terrible. We're not off to a hot start with me, with that, with Max, with uh, what's his name? Oh, Cespedes. <laughs> Cespedes. The locker room's just not off to a hot start, but we're going to finish off strong. That's guaranteed. But uh, UFC 252, obviously the headliner, Cormier Miatic. I got Cormier. Like Ariel said, I think he's just going to wrap it up after that. I don't think it's going to be a Jones. Though Santos Rosenstruck, I got Rosenstruck. But this is the big one, the Sh- uh, Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera. Have you seen Sean O'Malley yet? Have you guys watched this guy fight? They call him Sugar Sean O'Malley. Look him up after this. He's like unbelievable. This guy is crazy. And he looks just like a normal Joe. So I got him winning. He's a psycho. But in the interview, Ariel said like Bear is going to be his most difficult opponent. So like you wouldn't be surprised if he beats him. Who knows? And then the last one, Dodson uh, versus uh, I have no idea who this guy is. I know who Dodson is. So I'm taking Dodson. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you are sitting on your couch watching these fights on Saturday night, don't forget to be sitting on the couch in a nice dude robe. You can buy your own dude robe at www.dudrobe.com. Use our promo code LACA for 20% off. I promise you there is nothing more comfortable to sit on the couch in, have a beer or a glass of wine, whatever you're into, and watch some UFC fights and listen to Ariel. I love my dude robe. I'm not going to lie to you, boys. I've been wearing it a lot lately, and like the pockets are pretty clutch. My dad stole mine. big. <laughs> but i'll get it back from but i think that wraps it up for this episode we want to thank ariel once again for coming on we love him we're huge fans of his and uh you know we're hopefully going to get up to montreal to stay with his mom and get some montreal bagels sometime in the future but we want to thank you guys again for listening and have a great weekend enjoy watching the fights and hopefully cappy's picks can give us some winners see everybody enjoy the weekend Regardless, largest in charge and born in New Orleans. Get killed for John and skateboard. I'm knowledge, Drake, Tunch, and Barbie. You know.